Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode comes from our Members Masterclass with acclaimed director Anthony Byrne and director of photography Mathieu Planfossé discussing their work on the sixth and final series of Peaky Blinders. Moderated by Directors UK member William McGregor, in this episode Anthony and Mathieu cover everything from preparation, lighting and lenses, to the importance of discussing ideas collaboratively. We hope you enjoy the podcast. I've been really looking forward to this and really excited to talk to Anthony and Matthew, partly just from a very selfish reason, because I want to find out how they did it. So hopefully we can all learn from them and enjoy this session. So I actually want to start at the beginning. And I think it's useful for everyone almost just to learn where the process begins and how you actually go about meeting each other and starting a collaboration on a project like this you know phone calls meeting in person for the two of you I imagine you know a different experience coming at it from different perspectives in terms of how you prepare for it so if you could talk a little bit about how you started working together and how you met on this project that would be great hi everybody first of all yeah I'll get through quick because there's lots to talk about I um uh I was I was looking for a kind of European feeling for this final season. Um, and I was sent lots of, uh, of DOPs to look at, but a few years ago, uh, or more than a few years ago, there's a French artist called Woodkid, um, and there was a music video, uh, what was the name of it, Matthew? Can't remember the name of the song. Well, the title of the music video, Iron. Iron, by Woodkid. <clears throat> so mm. I had seen this music video, and I thought it was, you know, it was a video that I watched many, many, many times. And so when I was looking through the reels of DOPs that, that had been sent to me, I saw the video again and I hadn't seen it for quite a while. But when I when I was watching it, I used to watch that and go, wow, whoever shot that and directed it did like a killer job. So that was what brought me to Machu out of everybody that I, I saw was that music video. And um, then we had a conversation uh, early on and then. And then we went around the, the houses um, and then I ended up coming back to Machu after quite a long process. And for me, I was sold on, on Machu after that first conversation, but it was more like a due diligence thing. And because it's, it's the BBC and it's all the usual kind of stuff, it's like you've got to get approvals and all this. And there was a, a lot of back and forth about, are you sure this is the guy that you want? Because... <clears throat> I think at the time, Matthew was just finishing shooting a, a period show for Netflix, but I don't think he had a lot of uh, either TV stuff or drama stuff. There was some concern at the time, um, uh, but I, I kept pushing for Matthew, and then Matthew spoke with our producer, and then that was the, the beginning of the, the relationship. But in the first conversation that we had, uh, we just hit it off. We got on really well. Matthew was like very personable, very easy to talk to, um, and and clearly very talented in the other work that I obviously had was watching that had that had been sent to me. So it felt it felt very um, it felt we felt very philosophically in line in tune with each other. I would say that, which is really important, uh, especially when you know that you're going to be spending a long, long period of time with uh, with that person. 
And so, Matthew, is there anything you uh, specifically prepared? Did you prepare any visuals or was it more of a conversation? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because the first conversation we had, I always consider that like the foundation of the work because I don't know why it came to me all the questions I needed to understand how Anthony is going to process. And it was such an honest and clear conversation, especially about framing. I always used to consider my work as a, a, a whole thing about lighting and framing. And Anthony has been really clear about how he was really attached about the frame, the shooting list. He, knew, he explained the way he wanted to work, which is being on set, see the blocking, and then he was the first step to, de to define which kind of shot he wanted. And uh, so, at the, so we talk about that on the first conversation and he, I don't know if it's help or not, but it just, uh, it, it just felt something, but it just gave me a kind of like strong idea about how I'm going to work on this. Uh, the other thing I could have had, it's just from it, I found that really funny how things arrive in a career because my, I was mostly shooting commercial music. I start with music video, took me to commercial. And then I, I used to live in New York for a couple of years, for five years actually. And I went back to, to France and that's the moment I start shooting show. Netflix starting to shot every year, like five and I've been part of it. And just Anthony call at the right time. It just arrived at the right time without knowing, actually. So that I can't really explain, but I, I, I just finished this period piece and we had this call. So I also had a kind of like knowledge about what I, I could expect. And yeah, it's just a feeling of talking with a director for the first time over the phone, not even a Zoom, you can't even see him, but you just have the feeling to... Pre-Zoom. Yeah, yeah, exactly, pre-Zoom. Pre -zoom. Yeah. <laughs> but you can... I just hear him, and I understood the way he wanted to work, and and I really felt... It, the, I felt it was honest, and I knew when I'm going to step in. If, but I didn't know I'm going to be hired there. But uh, after that, when I've been confirmed after all the process Anthony explained uh, but it just just helped to just starting the prep understand what he wants how it's going to work and it's been uh, yeah fantastic actually it's been and I, I yeah and I have a really good like memories of this first phone call and did that carry on into your uh, pre-production and how you kind of no. work together research <laughs> change um because you look at the show and it's obviously you know incredibly well uh thought through and just inventive and you know i think we're always all trying to avoid shooting coverage and to tell a story and to not just fall into the trap of doing things the same old way which you guys have done especially we'll see in the clips later but are those things that you would have talked about and planned or was it more of a conversation about how you would like to work and then those things came together further along down the line? Uh, I think we started with that, the, those conversations, but everything was planned. We had, <clears throat> we had a very long pre-production uh, period uh, and then that was interrupted by uh, the pandemic. 
so we, I think we prepped for like five months or something like that. It was a very long time or six months. Was that, am I right? It was a long time. It was, it was a long time. So we spent that time. We were working very closely together. Um, we'd go out. We just, it was just really doing the work, you know, it was kind of going back to locations, talking through the scripts, uh, looking at references. Um, but as Matthew said, I was very clear about what I wanted it to look like and what I wanted it to be. But within that brief, Matthew was free to do, to light it whatever way he wanted to. So I, I stayed out of that because you, you know, you want to get good people and let them do the thing that they're really good at. So I really enjoyed the conversations, but then Matt, there was a point with them when I was just working with John Middling, who was our first AD, and Matthew was off with his guys doing his thing. And then he would come back and we would talk, you know, in detail about what he was doing. And that was kind of how we, we did it. And then during that, I mean, Matthew, Matthew's a great guy and he's a very personable, open guy. So we became friends very quickly, uh, having not known each other, which, you're, which you, you kind of do by default to some degree because you know that you're going to share a lot of time you end up sharing things about your life that you know i've got you know matthew probably knows more about me than close friends do that i've known for years and years and years but you know that's the the nature of this sort of business but i think that kind of answers the question in some regard especially on recce buses yeah which i wouldn't get on the recce buses we went in like suvs and then um or people carriers uh but what was happening then what was great was that when we came we started prep again in september 2020 and then we couldn't go on the bus so we each had our own car <laughs> and we to go it was so ridiculous at the time it was mad and the cars were covered in plastic so you just got into a bubble of plastic in the back of a people carrier and and then the, say five people carriers would go to this location to recce, which, which I quite enjoyed. Would you guys share um, documents or would you have like folders for imagery or was it more kind of conversation driven? I think with me, it was conversations and maybe looking at clips the odd time, but um, Matthew had a lot of references for, based on the conversations for himself um, and for lighting. But with me, I think our back and forth was mainly conversations. I had a kind of clear idea of the whole, I had the whole show kind of in my head and was basically trying to get it into Matthew's head and then whatever he needed to do to keep a track of that was kind of, that's how it felt that it, would work, it was working. Yeah. Matthew, did yeah. you? I'm sorry, one. Did you find that that meant you were then able to, you know, prepare the lighting in a way that you could achieve this special thing on the day because you've already had those conversations about what you're aiming for. Actually, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's how the layout of the, the, the working space, the prep, the, the work, the prep working office, prep office. So basically I was sitting with Anthony and John, we were on the kind of triangle and you just spend your day doing your thing. I my my first step was working on references, finding like movies, picture, anything I like, and try to put all together, following all the all the script. I have to say, Anthony has a knowledge of the script way beyond than I and and I have. And I, even if I try to read like 
probably I probably read read the script like four or five times. Anthony probably did like <laughs> I can't even imagine how many times. But it was also a good way for me to catch up and to really understand because I was behind on the understanding of the script. So spending my time finding reference in the office and also it just talking through. And I also have to say, I've been the lucky enough to work with the director we did a previous season. So he got so many tips. I knew exactly he told me everything he didn't like in the first, in the previous one, or the thing he wanted to avoid. The thing he he, really, he put he put me in a really comfortable situation, and uh, and I would say fair enough for a French guy, you know, arriving in Manchester and this whole like process, or everybody was already there and knew how it worked. Actually, the. The, the the way the people work in the UK it's different than France and even in the US. So it was a kind of uh, an important moment. I would love to do it again. Actually, in in, in the, if I have to, I'm probably going to prep again show and movies. But like this idea of like being in the same office, being able to talk through, it's something that's been very inspiring. And, uh, and yeah, that was um, that was something. I've done that in the last couple, a few things, maybe. Uh, I don't like the one person, one office thing. So I get an office and the first AD, the DOP, then at a later stage, the second, and then like a PA, and we never leave the room. So for a huge period of time, we're in the room and we've got everything on the wall and we just sit there and talk openly. Matthew shares concerns that he has that are fed into the schedule and then location issues casting issues so we all we are all on the same page it's not that you've got to walk up the hall and have one conversation with one person it's all happening in the one room um, and we did that for a long period of time and then at, at that, and then we would go off look at different aspects of the production and then come back and share information um, so we were never out of sync and that was a really really important part of that early prep that, that went on for a long time. We also had a thousand piece jigsaw that was like a dress jigsaw and it was laid out on a table and that's what we were doing. If we were thinking or pissed off or whatever, somebody would go over and start working on the jigsaw. Did you finish the jigsaw? Yeah, weirdly on the last day, Matt, she was driving him mad. He actually kind of lost it a little bit. <laughs> an obsession. I got obsessed, yeah. Damn it. That sounds like a great process and makes a lot of sense in terms of how you were able to achieve something so cinematic, especially, you know, uh, in difficult conditions and TV schedules. And I think that's one of the things that everyone's always really inspired by, by Peaky. And I think that that's a good time to watch this first clip if we can cue it up and then we can sort of dive into how you came up with some of the really inventive ideas that are in the sequence. Cool. We watched a short clip from Series 6, Episode 1, which appears 12 minutes and 50 seconds into the episode, and sees Tommy Shelby arriving at Newfoundland, a French territory. So a sequence like that, which is so incredibly visual, how much of that are you discovering? You know, there's so many great ideas in there with the use of reflection, um, pulling focus through the window or frame within a frame. Or I love the tableau shot where the hats just lift up. Those images, are they, you know, preordained or how much are you discovering? 
in that sequence, I think, in that sequence, everything was planned pretty uh, specifically. It's, it's, you know, Peaky is a, it's like it's somewhere between a, like a graphic novel and a Western in, for me. And uh, that's how I was approaching that. So it's, it's all Sergio Leone, you know, men in hats, gangsters. Um, but, you know, we, we, we went, we shot that in Scotland. Um, can't remember the name of the place. It's, a lot of it's gone. Port Soya. Uh, yeah. And um, a beautiful town and great, great people. So we went up there a couple of times um, and we, we planned that really, really carefully. And it was a big, it was a big spend for the production. So there's a lot of responsibility. And then, you know, by sort of a twist of fate, we were supposed to go there much later in our production and we had to call it earlier, which was a huge risk to go there. We went there in early February, 21. And so that's, uh, it's pretty risky due to the weather up there at that time of year. And we were forced to do so because uh, America was closed at the time. And we had, it was Finn Cole, Anya Taylor-Joy and Sam Claflin were all in LA on other shows or films. And we couldn't bring them back. It was becoming incredibly complicated. So we had to go to Scotland and nobody wanted to go but it actually turned out to be a blessing because all of that snow was real and it was all there. Wow. And it, we didn't have any money to do that. And it wouldn't have been there if we had it gone a month later, which is when we wanted to, uh, when we felt that it would be more manageable for just from a production point of view to service that, that town. And so even the little uh, snow particles that are falling, snowflakes, uh, some of it is real and some of it is ours, depending, depending on the scenes. I have those um, feathers. Oh, it's supposed to look like snow, but feathers. There were feathers everywhere. It was just, it's kind of hilarious. But most of that was real. Uh, and especially at the end sequence, the, the sort of the end of the season is, or a section of the end of the season is up there and it's snowing up there. And that, a lot of that snow was real. Some of it was a mix of both. But we we got very lucky. It it wasn't it was not easy to be up there. But that week was the week I think the crew really gelled together, and uh, I felt that we kind of became the, the 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 crew and became really close and tight in that week in Scotland. And that when we came back, we were all in sync. You know, it always takes a little bit at the beginning to get everybody on the same frequency or the same rhythm, and that was a really positive experience. Um, hard work and I think everybody felt it um, but it, it, it was amazing and we knew what we were getting was great you know we it did you could see it you know even if you didn't see the monitor you could see it in front of your eyes you know that it just the whole world that um, Nicole Northridge our production designer and her team created up there you know a, a lot of that a lot of that is her work you know um, I think directors and cinematographers get a lot of a lot of credit for how something looks but you know it, with regard to that sequence and the bar that that he walks into and then the, the meeting room that they go up to and um, which was back in Manchester it was just seamless uh, production design so you know a lot of credit goes to her NRSFX uh, team as well. Did you find that the production design inspired you as well did you both find shots walking around the sets that had been built yeah we yeah we when we went up the first time we 
we walked the town and and just mapped out the geography of it. Um, uh, you know, there's a version of it in the script, but then when we went up there, we just said, this is what we want, this is where we want to be. And, you know, I wanted, um, I wanted Tommy to walk out of nothing, you know, it's like he's a, um, you know, he's a man on the edge of oblivion, you know, and then it says four years later after this, uh, the, the funeral of Polly, it's like, well, where is he? Where, you know, and, it, and it, it's taking the audience to a world in the show that we've never seen before um, and, and making it feel very different to the sort of received visual grammar of Peaky, you know, that was important. So we spent a lot of time and then we shot that sequence on a different set of lenses than the rest of the show. So that in some way, you know, the combination of what we were doing with the camera and lighting and what, what Nicole, our production designer was doing with the art department, that it felt like a standalone sort of coda. Uh, so that, so that, opening section and the closing section in ep six were, were shot on different lenses and so it had a very specific distinct feeling and look would you both do camera diagrams for a location like that that's quite spread out was it multiple camera no i don't think we did i i don't really do that maybe matthew does with his guys but we worked very closely with john midlane the first who's pretty invaluable to me and he's somebody who knows me and I've worked with um, quite a few times. So we would, we, when we would, were up there, we'd write it down, we'd list it out. And so we knew that we wanted a camera position here and it was pretty, there was nothing to be discovered there, I think would be fair to say. And in, in probably most of the rest of the show there was, but up there we, it was, it was a really clean operation. We knew we were going to be here and then we were going to be there. And then we were going up on the hill to get the, the top shot. And um, I love zoom lenses. So I wanted to use them in the show. And I, I don't think they're used enough. Um, and it seems to be a thing, but I like them. And it, it suited the, it suited the vibe of that, se that sequence. And I, I used them throughout the show. So we knew where we wanted to be. And we had, did Matthew, do we have an additional camera? Uh, no, we, we we've been working with the same amount of camera all uh, all the yeah. way through the show. We had three camera using two, and sometimes no, not never three. It's so one was for configuration, uh, but we use mostly two. Yeah, and and yeah, and I, just to add what Anthony said, it's this scene is the most we knew exact every shot you've seen has been planned. Talk about the camera position the configuration of the camera. I remember I also have the photo on my Artemis, which is an app to a viewfinder app of everybody's doing the hat shot on the, on the boat when we scout. <laughs> and uh, and again, yeah, it, I, I have to say we've been twice. We've been first time on the, before we, we, before we had to stop production uh, for the lockdown. And we went a second time after and it's been like, yeah, it's, it's, the thing is like, we knew exactly what we wanted. We were playing as really, like really, we, we knew, but having this weather, the, 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 the snow, the really, really low temperature who kept the snow on the ground has been our blessing. Because also the wind was manageable. We had like this massive smoke machine to just fog this whole place and it stay in position. 
we has been really that's also a part of luck it's like we could plan as much as you can you know we also had the basically the the forecast with us the, the and 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 the thing is like because we were planned we we've been able to embrace everything and the feeling finishing this week after being like like so cold and so like tired about that but the feeling of like we achieved something it was the third week of the shoot so it's kind of still like really early in the show meaning when you know you're gonna have like 16 uh, 14 more week like following or 13 more week uh, yeah, it, it's been like kind of like moment where you feel like, okay, we, we did something special happen. We got to carry on now on that level all the time. And it's been really an important week uh, for the success of the show, I guess. Did you even plan use of slow-mo? This shot's going to be slow-mo. Do you shoot at high frame rate and then decide later? Or do you do sort of intermediate frame rates? Or Because obviously that's a really iconic thing that you guys have been doing on the show. Uh, no, we planned those and we never went, I don't think we ever went more than 50. 50 is enough. <laughs> I think 50 is enough. Any slower, it's like, oh, we don't have time, you know? But 50 always feels right. Yeah, and again, those we decide the 50, it's not like sometimes we decide on a day, but during the prep, we talk about that. Anthony yeah. came say, you know what, for this, maybe it would be good to do 50. I would love to do 50 sometime. I would like to you, you know, it's all those conversation will put you on set and like you see the shot and we look at each other and say, okay, that's a shot at 50 frame. And we, you know what I mean? It's so quick. You, Digital world also helped to make things way more easier. You don't, but at least we knew before that was a, the grammar of the show, and, the, and especially for the scene. There's a question here from Paul Wilkins in the Q and A asking about emphasizing story beats and building tension with the camera. Is is that something you might both note in the script as you read, or like pinpoint a moment and say this needs to feel like this? Is it more instinctual? How how do you like to work? I think it's more, for me, it feels more instinctual, intuitive. Uh, you know, that stuff on, that that kind of stuff would happen more on the day when you watch the actors or you're blocking the scene and then then it's the feeling, you know. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say I'm a very cerebral person. It's more based on feeling and instinct. So I think, I think that would probably be how I approach those scenes and, how you feel you need to push a moment with the camera and, and be in a particular frame. You know, for me, it's always, it's sort of, it's, um, it's story, psyche, subtext. They're the, they're the three things that I think about with everything, you know, any scene, I'm just, you know, there's the story beat, is the psychological uh, state of mind of the character or characters. And then it's the subtext, you know, it's, um, it's what location you've chosen to put them in or what what you've added to the space that you know is going to you know maybe help tell that part of the story that uh, that Paul is is asking about i i think the next clip might be a good example of showing how the two of you work together as well with the blocking of the actor maybe we can talk more about how you work with the cast and how the two of you will go about choreographing 
the movement looking at this. Yeah, this, this is shot. a good one to, to discuss for anyone who's interested. <laughs> yeah. We then watched a second clip from Series 6, Episode 5, appearing 18 minutes and 38 seconds into the episode. It shows Tommy Shelby and Lizzie Stark in a bedroom at the Midland Hotel. Beautiful. And the boldness of the blocking to just hold that and let the shot develop. Is that something you both read the script and thought we would try it like this? Or did that come from working with the actors on the day? That, that I thought this was a, a good scene to talk about specifically here because the scene was written to the best of my memory as um it, it was in a bedroom a suite but it was going to take place on the couch there was a so where she walks to where she picks up the champagne and then when uh, when Killian and Natasha came into the room uh they started talking about the scene and felt that it should be in the bed but in our discussions we had we'd made it a suite but we were talking, myself and Matthew were talking about the scene being on the couch and in this sort of other space, and that the bed was just the bed that was there. And we'd probably mess up the sheets or something. Um, and it goes, it speaks really to the first clip that we saw, which was, you know, 100% prep. And we had a huge commitment going up there. Um, but the rest of the series was shot mainly like this. Uh, where we were open to ideas, I was open to anything that the cast were going to bring to it. That was good. And it was really that sort of best idea wins. But it wasn't like we were caught on the hop, but we weren't prepped for it. And I certainly wasn't expecting them to do it. But when I watched the first version, which is was different to what, what we ended up shooting, I immediately went, fuck, that's the best idea. And it's the best version of the scene forget that we're over here and we had shot something else that day in that house i don't remember what it was but we didn't have a huge amount of time and the trinity rig is a piece of equipment that i really love and i un i i understand how to use it and design shots for it so i used that particular piece of equipment for that scene and i on any other tv show uh particularly like American shows as well, but you know, it's happening more in, in the UK as well. That shot would be covered to bits, you know, there'd be shots all over the camp that be, and you would have 100% be shooting Killian Murphy yeah. uh, in the bed. Right. But we never shot anything because again, it's the psyche, the subtext and the story is all Lizzie. He's he, she's disconnected from him, even though they've just had sex. Uh, He's just a voice, you know, in the back of her mind. And so I like the fact that he was out of focus. I told Killian, you know, in full transparency as well. Um, and he loved it, you know, because he is a filmmaker as well. And he works with filmmakers. And so he and he's not a selfish uh, person. So he understood that that made sense for the scene. But he loved it. Um, and it's two shots, the whole the whole scene. Mm -hmm but he's always in the background. He's out of focus behind her. He's out of focus in the mirror. And then we only cut to him for his confession, really, which is heartbreaking. Um, and, and then it ends as it begins. But that whole thing was designed within, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. You know, we talked about it, actioned it, and we were lighting, and, or Machu was lighting, and we knew, and we, we, we rehearsed that move 
that Lizzie's shot was obviously the, the hardest one to get down. Um, but I thought it was a good example of, you know, that's a really good drama scene. And it's, I find it, it's a very moving scene. Peaky is known for the kind of um, histrionic, big performance stuff with, you know, with usually men um, or the violence or the slow motion of the music. But these were the scenes that were really important to me. And I thought that for, for the purposes of the conversation that we're having tonight, in terms of being open to new ideas, and being confident enough and having the ability enough uh, in terms of having the conversations and having a relationship that myself and Matthew had where I was like, this is how I want to do it. And he was like, cool. It wasn't like, uh, uh, I don't know, I can't, uh, you know, hang on a second. Can we talk outside? It was like, he was like, cool. Do you both find you have to pitch those ideas to a producer and defend it because as you say quite often you'll be told where's the close-up oh you didn't shoot one actually we're going to make you go pick one up but no. you guys were able to communicate with the no i i was lucky on, on this i don't think i'll probably have it again to be honest to have i just had full control to do to make it the way i wanted to make it um and again like i was saying earlier i take the responsibility of that very seriously and I take the storytelling and the audience experience of what, how I would want to watch uh, my favorite show, you know, um, that's how I'm thinking about it, but I'm thinking about the story. It's like, how's the best, what's the best version of the scene for me. And I think people then who like and appreciate cinema or filmmaking, they get it. People who don't care about it and are just watching the story, they get it too, because emotionally you're, you're 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 tuned into it and you have empathy um for both of them and that's you know that's where the drama is the having cuts 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 and all that kind of stuff uh, i don't understand that so i was never asked to shoot that way and i think for killian he liked the confidence of not that scene but of what myself and matthew were doing because it makes him feel comfortable to do what he wants to do um so there was a huge amount of latitude to uh, to just get it done. And producers only care that you finish your day. <laughs> you're done. And, and Matthew, when you're stood there on the floor and there's this new idea that the actor and the director have sort of cooked up and you're now shown the blocking and it's a crew show, do you then instantly have to think, okay, so I'll put a practical light here and they'll walk into, because you pockets of light that they're moving in and out of and and that's doing storytelling as well. Could you talk us through that? He was in the room though for that, just to, he was in the room during that Got you. conversation. Exactly. The fact, the fact all the time, the blocking was done with like Antonio, obviously, John Midland, the first AD and, and myself, and it helped so much. And also this scene arrived a little bit later. So we have, we all know each other. The, I think the confidence that be, you know, like Kilian and Natasha was confident with us in the, in the, in the, in the room. And uh, at some point it's just the challenge. You know, you're driven by the challenge. As a cinematographer, it's just like you got a director who has a great knowledge of the camera, which configuration you want to use to have feeling you want to get. So from there, it's just like we have our tool, you know how to use it, then it's a matter of lighting. And 
we living in an era or lighting become a tiny, like not tiny, a bit more easier. We got like light on battery, LED, all this kind of thing you could actually hide easily. And, um, and yeah, and again, the challenge, just I love developing shots. I think for any, any cinematographer, you, I just love it. It's just a cultural, like the, the cinema I like is there. So mm. I would I always embrace it and say, yeah, let's go. It's just even like make me more uh, really like passionate about it. So this kind of challenge, when they arrive and you feel during the blocking, it makes so much sense. You're just happy to, you know, just like provide the solution, the lighting solution somehow. And it was like, it was great. And, and I can tell you, we finish a scene like this, you feel so proud of yourself but the whole crew as well, because mm -hmm. everybody on the same page trying to achieve it and so happy. Because developing shot, it's also about the timing. Like it's not, and, and the fact so many things come. It has to be all together. And when you achieve a scene like that, we bring you to an emotional place. Like we've seen, it's just like it's so rewarding. It's actually why you're doing this job. Mm. And on a day like that, would you guys, or on every, any day, do you meet in the morning and talk through the sides or over breakfast? Or no. do you? you know? <laughs> it's so much. It's 86 days in a row. Seven. So, yeah, 87 days in a row. It's just like me, I never done that before. So it was my big challenge, actually, being able to just carry on all the way through. But the thing is, when you found your pace, the way you got to work, which is blocking with the actor, looking what they want, then having a director like Anthony coming and say, I want the camera that with which this lens is, I want the Trinity shot there. This like, you just become a kind of like, almost trained and ready for anything. Once you understand the, the function of our team, it become like easier, but also, I really want to have a hat off sort of like to the, the, the first AD. I think I, it's John Midlane is probably one of the best first AD I work with. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's jumping into a set and like basically let us do whatever we wanted. So without putting any stress, but just great explanation or how we got to go fast or just like, if I, we, it, it was just amazing actually, to have someone who being being able to balance our time. Uh, and yeah, he's a key collaborator, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And the free, and I have to just, I want to add about the freedom Anthony had. That's for any, for a cinematographer, production designer. It's just so great to just, you just need to follow one person. You don't have any, you don't manage any politics or problem. You just have someone who have a full control of what he's doing, whereas the actor will actually total trust in their conversation. It just makes everything easier. Yeah, I, I feel you know there were there were certain sequences that were planned, like the the Michelin sequence, uh, as a as a great example. But for the for most of the rest of the show, the we were prepped and we've done months and months of prep and we know within a 
good deal of reason all the eventualities that or outcomes that we could expect but on the day it's almost like i want to reserve the right to walk onto the set and rediscover it and see what the actors are going to do and i'm led by them uh to a certain degree and then and then the blocking happens really quickly but that's where the excitement for of the filmmaking process comes i couldn't do it if everything was designed and prepped and we came on and we knew i'd just be bored you know it's like i need the the unknown piece of the of the process is the piece that i love the most of, of walking onto the set uh we didn't do any major pre-lighting at all i wanted to have that flexibility to walk in and if they were down the other end of the room well, then we're going over there you know um but then we had other sequences where we we had to plan and for obvious reasons um and and then and one sequence there was only one sequence that we storyboarded um, because it was quite confusing uh, for everybody to understand it but other than that it was it was pretty um flexible you know but that's like Matthew was saying that's creatively where the fun is and the excitement is because you don't know what's going to happen and something like the trinity rig a special bit of kit is that something you carried with you for when you needed it or would you have to say oh on this day we might want it or i've got an idea for it on this day or no we that was one of the things that we we don't we don't we we don't use cranes and um, there's not there's not many toys so basically the big ask was i want the trinity rig and i want it all the time on the truck ready um because i don't know how i'm going to use it you know i'm watching the scene and then i go this would be a great way to tell this scene and then we design the shot and we're you know i'm trying to do as many developing shots and keep it alive for as long as we can um for the actors and for the scene and then break into it maybe with you know two other shots but we didn't we didn't shoot a lot of um we didn't shoot a lot of extraneous kind of coverage that you know we shot what we needed and we moved on um without you know putting ourselves in a situation where I was going to be in trouble in the edit um, but it was it it was shot in a very kind of specific clear way i suppose yeah it's like when you define the tool you need and you prioritize some of them it just you always also have to just like you know to help you but to just yeah the the grammar of the film the way you want to shoot it and you know pretty quickly on the show as speaking i know you can't have everything you want you just need to define your priority and the trinity went one of them and then the rest was pretty classic we had like two or three day of crane because it was really specific because we know the it's it not even like we knew the shot as we wanted with the crane but we considering the location we felt it, it was needed but most of the time it's just like yeah we we had the kit just the kit and we work with this one and and it was pretty traditional or classic yeah. i suppose there's a question here from Katie Fenton Green inquiring about post production and if there's anything we're like oh i guess we can fix that in the grade or you're thinking ahead to the grade at all is there any kind of that thought process on set uh yeah we did that in um we did that in prep 
we did a lot of camera testing, a lot of lens testing, and then we worked closely with the colorist Paul Staples, uh, who who graded season five, and and he's somebody that that I brought on, and I'd worked with him on music videos as well and stuff like that. So yeah, we 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 definitely were the, the with the Lutz. I think you did you do them with Paul before no, no, we started? We, actually, we did them the Lutz. I didn't want it. I oh, I, 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 ju- I just wanted to work. The Paul helped us to define uh, the the choice of the lenses. We did like so many le- so many tests. The thing is, I consider a lot. It's, it's always difficult because you're going to choose one or two lot before you go on set. But if you haven't tested on location with the condition you're going to shoot, they, they might be off. And I really like working with the DIT. So basically what we were doing, we, we didn't have a lot on camera, a specific one. We used like the generic one from the camera. And the DIT, after the first shot, came to us, show us a kind of, First grade, just a, just a, yeah, like a, I would say a simple grade, a simple look, and Anthony and I will validate it. He like, was great. Okay, that's what we like. That's what we want, and we go this way. And I found the methodology interesting because at the end, Anthony, after six months of editing, when he came to the color grading session, each time we try something different. But <laughs> can I see? Can I see the offline? And yeah, that's exactly that what I want, you know? And and I, you know what? I will remember that forever because I definitely think you, it, it's kind of good to define the look of your film on set uh, because we know we can change anything and maybe ideas can come later. But we had a kind of control and, and making decision on set. And I think was... It was a good thing. So we know we can fix some problem on in post and grading, mm. but usually we did like we were pretty happy with what we have uh, on set. Would you both go in the grade together? That's a process that you kind of met up for after you'd wrapped, had a bit of time away. Yeah, yeah. It was we were lucky. I I think you. I think Matthews started the grade or I was uh I don't know what I was doing I was editing no I was editing because it, it's an it's unusual insofar as I did the whole season so while we were finishing the edit of six and six ended up being like a feature basically um which was taking longer to cut so match was started grading and I think he was grading for like five days or something when I came in or maybe I was there for the first day and then I left. But Matthew had a chunk of time where he was on his own. And then I came in and said what I said. <laughs> show, me, show me the offline. But um, we graded for, we, I, don't know how, how, I don't know how long we graded for. It felt like we graded for weeks and weeks. No, Got to a point where I thought I was actually going to lose my mind. No, no, we, st- we start in December and we finished the grade in March. So yeah. it's not every day, but like a bit of every week. Yeah, yeah. it was like, a very long process. Um, was that because of availability or? Yeah, yeah. It was probably it was probably availability. It was probably finishing the the grades. Then I was mixing as well. And then we had 
with four companies at the in the end doing all the vfx so i was bouncing around town going to each of them machu was i don't know what you were doing you were going back and forth from paris and it was just a bit of a, a sort of you know juggling to get it uh, to get it done but we spent we had the time and we took it yeah. to, to do it right and uh but it, it took time and then over christmas there was a, some whole wasn't it there was like some COVID thing or something and so then we had to get a dispensation to go back into the grade to sit in the room and do it do it you know i was like no we've come so far i'm not grading on an ipad um so yeah it was a long process but you know ultimately it was worth worth the the time would you have a final review with producers and we asked uh, yeah. to make you know people say oh that's too dark can you justify it or those conversations not happen they did happen they but not not to that degree i'm talking like out of the whole six of the eps there was maybe and, and i swear to god maybe three or four shots or something like that where you know and if somebody's only talking about three or four shots out of six hours i'm like cool yeah you know um but they the, you know the, the the show it is what it is so there you know what you're going to get um there was definitely a concern about Michelon being dark there was a concern about the meeting room being dark uh, that they go up to after the pub um but but there was also, to be fair, a huge appreciation, I, I guess, of, of the craft and the filmmaking that was, I think, evident in what we were doing. And so the execs were pretty cool. But, you know, it's Steve Knight, it, Karen Mandebeck, um, Jamie Glazebrook and Tommy Bolfin at the BBC. It's like four people. You know, it's not um, uh, it's not a lot of people to to. to talk through and three of those people are in the room at the same time you know uh in fact when we do the grade review it was often just um jamie uh glazebrook um who would come in karen was there for maybe two of the episodes or something like that so they were pretty they were pretty relaxed you know there was a there was a, a good deal of sort of faith and you know support yeah, being allowed to be bold and experiment and yeah. make choices yeah. and trusting it, you know. Um, and like I say, that they, they had seen the offline. You know, they were in for the cuts to watch the cut, but we only had one. We'd had we'd have one exact screening. You know, it was it was a kind of I worked those cuts to the point that when they were watching them, we were like they were watching their first cut was like basically a normal. Process. You were five cuts in, so they were watching a very polished edit, and there were hardly ever notes after those. So it was a very easy process of um, them coming in and, and leaving us to get on with it. Is there anything um, from this shoot that you've sort of learned and taking on into your future productions? Mm. Have to have a think. What do you think? I don't know. I, I definitely felt a different man. Like <laughs> a different someone. I just, like, I, I, I want, see, I learned, but I felt, you know, when you achieve, you feel like having achieved someone important in your career. 
but I definitely like had this feeling after after shooting like all those long for for four months. It's been like kind of incre incredible because I knew it was something. It was totally new for me. And uh, when you end up, you fin you do you, you you just cross the finish line and you feel yeah okay. You know you don't. Uh, I don't know, apprehend, apprehend, like you don't arrive on set the same way. And mm. uh, it's not I'm bragging or showing off or because I've done Vicky Blank there. I just arrive with more confidence. The feeling of like, okay, now we, what we achieved was really difficult somehow. So when I jump on a new commercial, I'm just like, and I have like 60 seconds to shoot in three or four days, you just to feel, you arrive with a bit more, certitude and confidence which is actually pretty good because the people around you know feel it and you reassure people so that's yeah i can see yeah I, I would probably i would agree with that you know i was pretty exhausted by the end of the the whole thing it was like two almost nearly two and a half years on that final season and uh yeah it was pretty worn out by the end of it but to a the plus side was that you know you've kind of been through everything it felt like we'd been through everything um and it was a very very difficult shoot very very challenging there's a lot of stuff going on um by so, stuff you just mean the the, the you know pr production it was, it was, yeah production, yeah in front behind the camera it was just it was just every day it was hard and there was a lot going on that made it very challenging to to get it done, and then post was challenging as well. That was like ten months of post. But the flip of that is that you know, like Matthew was saying, it's like anything after that, it's you know, it's not a big deal. When you're dealing with you know sleep deprivation, your fatigue, it's week after week, exhausted. Like, how do you keep uh, yourself feeling healthy and sane and balanced? You know, <laughs> I was thinking of Matthew. <laughs> he went the opposite way. He was, uh, he was, uh, <laughs> Matthew had never experienced um, uh, penguins, biscuits, um, being from Paris. So there was a lot of packets of penguins going around. <laughs> there was a lot of wrappers. You could always I tell. All the British snacks yeah, to pick yeah. up the penguin. It was a lot of sugar. Yeah. I <laughs> Just sleep. You know, we'd never go out. Yeah. The good thing was that we were we were shooting through the lockdowns. There were weekends, there was nothing open. So I would just, literally, I'd stay in my apartment and sleep or Killian would come over and we'd have lunch in my place and talk about drama that had happened that week and what we were doing next week. You know, but, uh, yeah, you really need to pace yourself. No drinking. Smart. And did you guys manage to switch off and socialize or i guess it being a in the pandemic yeah but. yeah we did i mean we were in a i was in an apartment up the road and then there's a lot of people in another apartment building in manchester and it was pretty sociable but you know everybody's got other lives they're trying to get back to and you know that has its own sort of stuff um but yeah sleeping lots of sleeping there's a couple of questions in the Q&A. One is 
going back slightly earlier to pre-production and do you use uh, pre-vis before visiting the locations and I guess that's that can be a whole pre-visualized sequence or just even seeing SketchUp designs do either of you find that helpful or do that no we didn't use pre-vis at all it's quite an expensive tool and I think it can be a bit of a rabbit hole uh, we storyboarded the the sequence that there's a shootout in the fog and a, that starts in the garrison and it spills out into garrison lane under the under the arches of this uh, train bridge uh, around these steel columns. We storyboarded that sequence because there was so many points of view and a lot of fog and and every department needed to understand where we were going to be and how it was going to feel and. Um, that was very helpful, but that was the only that was the only sequence that was storyboarded. Um, and then I don't like shot lists because of what I was talking about earlier <laughs> about you want to discover it. But I don't know. Maybe we did. I don't remember uh, shot listing um, uh, anything. Maybe we did for Michelon. I don't know. But Michelon was so itemized in the prep that it was very clear what we were doing. Um, but no, no previous. Matty, do you find each director you work with quite different and you have to adapt to different people's approach and style? Yeah, but that's the purpose. That's the nature of our job. You know what I mean? It's just like you just need to adapt with the director more than anybody. You, re, you, re, you rely on him more than anybody. You could do the most beautiful cinematography if the director, if you don't understand the way he wanted to, he wanted to express this this movie or film or TV show, it just like doesn't make any sense. And that's uh, you learn through the process of storytelling more than commercial or music video. It's the most important thing. It's you gotta adapt to your director, not this can't be the the other way around. And that's about that's the kind of like again about that that's something I understood pretty quickly, and it, and it's just much better this way sounds good uh, there's another one in the q a about uh, average page count i'm sure it varied um but on generally what was the sort of page count a day how much you expected to shoot and then how much sort of time would you get to rehearse um I, yeah the, the page count i i don't really remember the you know i i I want to say like four or five pages but then some days it was like if it was a two-hander it was seven or eight pages um you know those uh the like the scene with tom hardy would have been probably six seven or no maybe that was eight pages that scene it was a long scene what steve knight does so well is write beautiful sort of two-handers um but it would really vary on the location how many cast it's hard to give a, a kind of um, straight answer to that to that question. Um, you know, Michelin was lower page counts because we were taking the time to get those shots. So Michelin might have been a page and a half, you know, for one of the days. But there were so many variables and, um, you know, safety boats and all this stuff with the fog machines on it, fogging up the place and, you know, all of this stuff. And then, you know, say the Tom Hardy scene may have been seven or eight pages. Um, but it felt like kind of four or five pages might have might have been where we were at. 
So you'd say a page count is relative, you know, it's about what's on the page, not necessarily. Yeah, I tend to look at the schedule, like if I was sitting down with John, I'd look at them, you know, if he just sort of imported the scripts and he hadn't done anything and you're just like, here's a first blast of what the schedule looks like. I'm looking at, you know, there's a page count and it's, you know, it's six pages and you're out in the street and it's five cast and 50 extras uh, and you've got, and you're shooting it in February and your daylight window is like that. And then I'm going, well, that's unachievable. You know, I'm, I always look at the cast and where they are. It's like how many cast tells me exactly how long I know I need to, to spend on that scene. And the more people, the more shots. Um, uh, so that would be an example of, you know, looking at it going, well, that's not going to work, you know, or you go, that's our day, but can we shoot it in March? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's hard. It's hard without the sort of, if we were sharing a schedule, then yeah, we could talk through a couple of days. Um, but I don't have it. I have another schedule, which I'm trying to wrap my head around. <laughs> um, yeah. And Sorry. is the new project um, something that it, it is an establishing series? There's a, because there's a question here about um, sort of putting your own thumbprint on something that's already established do you find there was scope there to play obviously a lot of the ideas you brought to it your own did you ever find sort of restricted by that or was it a fun sort of playground to be in with, with peaky you mean yeah yeah um when i came on i came on to peaky at season five and season four had won the bafta for best drama series and it, and it was sort of it was reaching I think between four and five, maybe it was reaching its sort of apex of, uh, you know, cultural value or whatever way you want to describe it as. Um, uh, So there was all that, you know, no pressure kind of stuff. But in the conversations that I had with with Steve Knight and with Killian, um, they were ready for a change and they wanted it to go in a different direction. So, which was great for me because I wanted to take it in a different direction. I was a huge fan of the show and I felt that, that it was missing something and the something was whatever then I wanted to bring to it. Season four, for anybody who remembers, was Italian gangsters and it was a lot of shoot em outs and gunfights and stuff like that. And I felt that the kind of gangsterism side of it was sort of taking over and there was a lot of and the, the use of music was becoming kind of abundant and there needed to be sort of some discipline. And I wanted every piece of music to have a purpose and not just be covering scenes. So that was the introduction of score was something that I wanted to bring to the show properly and um, less music, but more memorable, I hope. Um, and we also wanted to get back to the psyche of Tommy Shelby, which was something that Killian was really, really excited to do and i wanted to get back to the sort of the drama of the show that's how i was able to then come in and 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 i think leave my mark on season five and i would have been happy to leave then and go man that was a banger of a season of peaky and i'm off 
to do the next thing. Um, but was really glad I stayed and was able to continue finishing that story because it felt very much like part one of two um, and, and push that, that look and the feeling of that in, in a much, uh, I suppose, just a different direction. I was able to achieve that with Matthew and then bring his sort of more European sensibility to it. Um, and that was the huge sort of win for the for season six. And when you say European sensibility, is that working with someone like Matthew who's come from doing music videos, specifically, you know, music videos that you've uh, been inspired by, is that almost taking it away from a British TV coverage wide and two mids? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was kind of bored by that and I was meeting and being presented with, you know, DOPs who've done good work, but you kind of fall in, especially in TV, um, there was at the very very early stage of prep there was a um eric messerschmidt who did mind hunter and then did mank he was somebody who was really interested in 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 doing it and then i was interested in that for obvious reasons but i was looking for somebody an outsider of the of the sort of uk tv thing and i wanted to go with somebody who was going to just have a completely different take on the material and come up with different ideas and a different vibe and a different look that was then hopefully going to be in line with what I wanted to achieve with it. Presenting Machu was, was, you know, it wasn't an easy, wasn't an easy sell by any stretch, but there was a degree of confidence coming off of season five where they were like, well, you know, if that's the person he wants and, then we should, you know, take it seriously. Um, and then we got, we, we figured it out and then we were able to start. Um, and I, and I was, I was actually very grateful at the time um, to the producer. We had a different producer before the pandemic um, and she was hugely supportive. Annie Harrison Baxter, who produced season five and is uh, probably the best producer that I've worked with. Um, she was uh, hugely supportive of, of Machu um, coming on um, and really helpful in bridging that sort of gap between me and the, uh, the execs. And do both of you have, because um, a, a DP relationship it is a relationship, isn't it? You know, you're, you're friends and you're working very closely together. Do you both have DPs and directors that you've worked with over the years and come up with that you work with again? Or do you both like to work with different people you know, for a different project? Uh, I, I am now. I mean, I would love to have worked with Matthew on this, uh, but it didn't work out. And I and we will again. Um, yeah, I, I I like working with the same DOP. You know, it's just finding the person that you want to continue working with. And the same goes for John Midlane as well. Um, and I'd love to work with Nicole Northridge again. Uh, he's such a great designer. Um, but it's so hard, you know, to to sync up. You know, it's so busy at the moment, and it's very difficult to find the the right window. Um, but, you know, I like the challenge as well of working with people that you don't know 
like I, I, I had a concern at the beginning. I was, you know, when Matthew started, I was like, God, I hope this works out because we're really, you know, you're in for the long haul with this person. Um, the good thing that I've just remembered um, is that there was a reason, something, oh, we pushed, we pushed the start date for some reason. And within that window, I did a music video for a French artist called Jenny Beth and Matthew was in town and he lit it. And that was a great, we did two things over two different projects in two days in one, in over a weekend. And that was a really great um, um, way to work together with like fuck all budget and shoot something together and get a sense of who we are and how we like to work. And that was hugely beneficial. I just remembered that I keep forgetting that little experience we had. So that was a good one. That's sort of, I think for both of us that, um, uh, that kind of cemented the relationship and gave us the confidence that we were going to be okay together. And you mentioned Matthew earlier, Artemis, is it some of it just, you know, you'd use Artemis and you both work out the shots together, or is it more you'd spot with a viewfinder, a pentafinder? Was it things like where you could just learn the process that you both enjoyed on the day? So you'd establish that before you got to set on Peaky? Oh, not, not really. It's just like an easy app. It's on your phone. You know, it become just such an easy tool of having everything on your phone. It's just become just easy to carry. I, I love having my steel camera with me. Anthony also take beautiful photo and, and we had like this kind of exchange, like look this shot and this kind of thing. It's it just using the tool around. I don't have a specific, uh, you know, like obsession about one thing or another. I think it's just the understanding of the equipment you could have around you and just make your way through it. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a... a pure technical DP, which is really obsessed with like cameras and, and, and lenses. And I can appreciate it. I, I love like under, the understanding of the, the material, but I'm not like obsessed with it. And it's just uh, almost using the easiest uh, tool to just, make, to, to just make the shot possible or just prepping. And, and I have to say Artemis is one of those who just like find really accurate, especially with the, the new iPhone and the three lenses. So you kind of cover all the lenses. It's just a great tool because it's pretty accurate. And he has all the camera on it. So I found it's a, it's a great thing to have. So you'd be kind of holding that up, both get around the camera. What if we start on this frame? It could develop to here. That sort of process using the no no it's <laughs> like you know we we shot Piki with two lenses two 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 lenses mostly the twenty nine and the thirty five when once we establish it by preference by feeling it become pretty quick or Anthony say okay twenty nine here this height not this height I said this height uh, thirty five <laughs> there for this and that you know it's just to come back on working with someone you know, especially when you get along, as an amazing feeling on set, or you're basically starting to reduce the talking. And I think, on, especially on the pace of a shoot like Peaky Blinder, 
you need to reduce this time because it's so tiring for a director and even for you to always getting information, talking and translate and say to the to all your crew. So when you reach a level of understanding or you actually during the prep and you 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 know everything you have to you know how you're gonna shoot the scene, it becomes much easier. And it's also helped to avoid conflicts because the understanding is there and it's just something you reach with time. So working for so long with for, for such a long period with Anthony has been just great to know each other. And it's just like I have another director. I work with him since more than 10 years and it's just we don't even need to talk anymore on set or we just, the conversation happened over a dinner, over a drink, over just a prep. And then after that, just go during the day, it just goes on. And and also an appreciable time for a DP to feel you are the brave, I would say the, the pillar of your director. You have one of the guy you can just count on it and feeling this like the support. Remember this like Belgian DP and great DP, his name is Christophe Bocard. I remember being student and, and watching a, an interview of him saying, you know, the, 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 the DP work is being the bridge between the, the, the idea of the director and the the technical reality of how we're going to achieve it. And you, the, the image of the bridge is great because the bridge is supporting. We're just there to support. And I think it's an important definition of DP job. It's not the one we're going to make look good, the movie. It's the one we're going to support the director the best way to achieve what he has in his head. And, uh, yeah. Beautifully put. <laughs> We'd have... Um... The Komodo, the small, lightweight red camera with a 25 on the camera, and, and it was just stripped. And uh, we'd use that as well for blocking. All right. I just bring it on. So then, then anybody can see the shots. I don't like the, it's a very old fashioned, the sort of the finder doing that thing. I just, I keep thinking like if, if Hitchcock and all these guys were alive now, you know, they, I can't just can't see that they'd be standing on the set doing that thing that they were doing in the fifties and the sixties. They would be using the technology that's around, so they'd have like a digital camera, or they'd use a small camera that they could move around, and you can see the shots straight away. And then you're like getting into the conversation. You know, it's less talking, and it's a faster way to to block. So, would you use that during uh, blocking and rehearsal? You just get it out and naturally start playing with it. Yeah, it was usually, yeah, I usually had it ready or that was kind of the note was like, have it sort of handy so we can bring it on and then you can, you know, match, you can see what I'm looking at. You know, anybody can see, you can do a version of a move, you know, on Trinity or something like that, you know, and then it becomes a visual aid rather than something that only I can see, you know, with one eye. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, I just don't understand why, why people use you know, the lens. It's like the lens is like, you'll get that. It's like, what's the shot? And then you're into the conversation. The lens is like, well, now we know what the shot, well, now we know what, what lens we need to use to achieve it. And, and that picture would go to the monitors then? There would be a... We'd go to the monitor, uh, we'd go to the monitor or it's on, I'd always just have um, 
a monitor on the top of the camera. So, you know, the 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 operator match you, anybody can see what it what it is and and then John Fain writes down the shots, you know, and and then you just okay. break it up. But it happens super quick. It it takes you know half the time out of um, the blocking. You're just getting through it really fast, and you're you're seeing it straight away. Um, Does sound really using just a still camera, a digital camera, and just take pictures of the shots, and then you just scroll through them, and you go, you know, these are the shots, and. So then it just becomes automatic. And like Matthew's saying, you're saving your, your energy, you know, and you're in that sort of simpatico uh, relationship already. So you kind of go, okay, cool, we're doing that. And there's, you know, he believes it, I believe it. And then if any, and then it's like, speak now. Uh, nobody says anything. Okay, cool. Let's go. Let's go. And um, so, hopefully create as much space then for the actors to come in and have more time actually doing the scene. Mm. Well, I, I feel like in the last hour and a half, I've been able to learn a little bit more about the mystery of how you've made such a beautiful and cinematic show in, you know, making tele television, as you say, is, is a challenge, time, productions, everything, yeah. you know, you have everything thrown at us. So I'm, you know, I'm sure on behalf of everyone else as well. I've I've really learned from the two of you talking to you today. So thank you very much. Um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Will, thank you from both of us for for taking this on and doing it. I really appreciate it, um, and uh, it means a lot uh, to have you chair this for us and host it. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, William. Thank you very much. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com. <laughs>